The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Good morning. So when I was in college, I got really into this show on the History Channel channel called Vikings, uh, which is less nerdy than it sounds uh, because it was not about actual Vikings, but it was a fictional show where it followed this, this one Viking who, who rose from farmer to king because of how great of a warrior he was. And, and in his, his warring, he was expanding the Viking empire, and he was the first one to go into England. He was the first one to fight against Paris. And uh, it's kind of a guy's show. Jamie wouldn't watch it with me. Uh, actually, there's a lot of fighting and blood in it. But I had a, a friend who every Sunday night after church, I would get back. Uh, I, I worked in a church that was about an hour and a half away from uh, where I went to school. And so I'd come back on Sunday night, and we would watch, like, the second airing of it together. And it's kind of funny how when you have something to do with a friend, uh, we graduated. And I, I don't know what happened in the show. I quit watching it once I quit watching it with him. But the point of all this, the, the, the reason is uh, once he became king, his, his sons all of a sudden gained a whole new era of respect and honor. Uh, and they were no longer just known by their own names, but they were known as their name, Son of Ragnar. Uh, where, where all of a sudden, as, as soon as you met them and, and they would add that title to the end of their name, Son of Ragnar, automatically uh, people respected them, automatically people feared them, but also automatically it, it put a target on their back for, from some people. Uh, and, and I've always just really kind of been fascinated with, with this era, this, this culture of, of being attached to your, your father's name. I, I know there's still so, some cultures today who uh, you still, uh, your middle name is probably your father's name with uh, a suffix attached to the end of that means son of. Like that's, it, it still happens today that, that you are forever attached to, to who your father was or is. I know parents in here, you've uh, probably said this to your children before, and if you remember back to being a child, your parents probably said this to you as well. Please do not embarrass me in front of fill in the blank, right? In front of your teacher, please don't embarrass me. In front of uh, your grandmother, uh, my mother-in-law, don't embarrass me in front of my mother-in-law. Like, please, please don't embarrass me in front of the pastor. Don't embarrass me in front of your coach. Like, please don't embarrass me because you know and you understand that how your child behaves is a reflection of you. Most of the time, it's a good reflection, we hope. Uh, but uh, you know when you're raising children, there's going to be times where your children embarrass you, which is why once they become teenagers, it is your natural responsibility to try to embarrass them as often as possible. <laughs> and it's, it's amazing. Uh, I, I get to see it all the time, uh, working with the teenagers up there. You can embarrass a teenager just by being in the same room as them as a parent. It is, it is an easy thing to do. But all, all of this to say, how, how we live our life represents our father. How we live our life represents our family. How we live our life represents God. 
And so we're going to be back in 1 John today. Uh, I know we've, we've taken uh, a couple weeks off from 1 John, but if you want to go ahead and turn there, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 3. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, JMO took us uh, through the mission of the church. And then last week, I hope you were here uh, as we uh, launched and announced our partnership with Compassion International. Uh, as Ms. Vicki said earlier, if, if you've been praying about sponsoring a child this week, uh, please let us know. Uh, you... We would rather you let us know instead of going on to Compassion's website for this reason. Uh, as a church, we are sponsoring children all from the same two areas. So that way, as a church, uh, we can take physical trips to be there. Uh, so that way we are not only uh, ministering through giving, but we can minister physically and, and being present with them as well. Uh, and so if, if you've been praying about that and, and that's something you think God has been laying on your heart, Put it on your Connect card. Let one of pastors or staff know so that way we can uh, get you one of the, the packets that we still have here at the church of the children. But uh, today we're going to be in 1 John chapter 3. And I'm going, we're going to be focusing on verses 4 through 10, but I'm going to start reading in verse 1. And it says, See what great love the Father has given us. That we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Verse 4, everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins, and there is no sin in him. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. Children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who commits sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because the seed remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. Verse 10, this is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. There's some hard words in this passage, uh, but we're, we're going to start at the end, kind of see, I want to start at verse 10, then we're going to go back to the beginning, right? So verse 10, it is obvious who God's children are, and it is obvious who the devil's children are. And if you noticed as through that first reading, uh, there's, there's no middle ground, you're, you're either one or the other. There's no uh, middle place. There's no medium place. There's, there's nothing in the middle. It is a either or situation. You are either God's child or here you are the devil's child. And uh, especially if you didn't grow up in church sounds very harsh. 
right? That, surely there's a medium place. Like there, there's a middle ground where I can cheat. Like I can kind of be in the middle, not fully there, but like I don't really want to be God's child yet, but I certainly don't want to be the devil's child. That sounds terrible. And so maybe there's a, a middle place I can be. But that's, that's not the case. It's, it's either or. That It says we are either God's child or we are the devil's child. And it says it is obvious. And it says it is obvious by how we live our life. That it is obvious, especially, especially by how you love or do not love your brother. How you live is how you represent who your father is. That, that if you follow what uh, God lays out, you show, you represent who your father is. You show, you represent who God the Father is. If you do not, you also represent your father well. It's just a different father. And really, these are two of the same things that we've seen throughout all of 1 John. Uh, a obedience and a love of what God calls us to do. He calls us to be obedient to what he has asked us to do, especially being obedient in how we show love to others. That we love our family, that we love our brother, that we love our sister, that we love our neighbor. Jesus even says to love your enemy. And how we do that represents God our Father. So this, this end verse kind of sets up where we're headed. That, and I've got to ask myself, am, am I representing God the Father, or am I, am, how am I introduced? Am I Blake, son of God? That sounds really bad when you say it like that. Um, right? am, am I Blake, son of the Father, or am I Blake, son of the devil? How, how does my life represent how I would be introduced? Let's, let's go back up to the top. Uh, verses 4 through 6. Everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed, Jesus, so that he might take away sins, and there is no sin in him. Verse 6. Everyone who remains in him does not sin, and everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. Lots of pastors, ministers, books, all sorts of people recommend 1 John be one of the first uh, letters that new believers read. Uh, because 1 John is, is filled with the gospel, uh, it's filled with love, it, it's filled with you are, it's filled with sonship, you've been adopted by God, God is your father, and it's very straightforward in pretty much every place. And then you read this verse, and can you imagine, you have just become a believer. All right, try, try, to, try to take out the fact that most of you in here have been in church for most of your life. Try to take that out of your mind for a second. And you read for the first time, if I sin, I am not of God. I'm not God's child. If, if I've sinned, I cannot be God's child. I mean, does that threaten? That should throw you for a loop. Because I, I might be the only person in the room, but since I've been a believer, I think once or twice I've sinned. Once or twice. <laughs> I mean, not, I mean, yeah, just, just those couple times. But that's, that is sin. And then that lie was another one. 
But so it can't, it can't quite mean that because the Bible doesn't contradict itself. And so I want to spend a little bit of time. What, what, is, what does John mean when he says, if, if you don't, if you sin, you're not born of God? Uh, we, we actually need a little bit of, of Greek uh, to fully understand this, which can be a little bit annoying, I know, but we need a little, a little bit of Greek to understand this, unless you have the NIV translation, because it kind of translates it a little bit different. Uh, the, the NIV translation doesn't say if you sin, it says if you keep on sinning. Uh, and, and in fact, the, I'm not going to get into the details of it. Uh, if you want to know, you can come talk to me afterwards, and I can go a little bit more into detail in it. But, but the verb tense of, of this uh, means it cannot be a, a once-done action, but it is a, a continuous action. Uh, think, think of the concept of breathing. When you talk about the verb of breathing, uh, when, when you're breathing and you talk about breathing, very rarely are you ever talking about like one breath that you just took. I mean, we, you could break it down to actually talk about one breath, but when you say I'm breathing, you do not mean I took one breath and then I stopped. It is, it is a, a continuous, habitual thing that you must continuously do. Otherwise, you die if you do not breathe. And so we don't just breathe once, but we breathe continuously. And it's, it's the same meaning behind this, this tense where it says those who, who sin, it is a, a continuous sinning that takes place. It's not a, a one-time sin, but if, if you sin and your lifestyle is a continual habitual sin of which you have no repentance, no forgiveness, no sorrow, no regret about, if your life is characterized by the sin that you just continuously do with no regret, no repentance, no sorrow of, if, if that is your sin, if that is your life, then the Bible would tell us that we should question if you really know the Father. That, that our life, when we've been changed by Jesus, our life begins to reflect the Father. There's a, there's a second reason, okay, to, to why we see this, which we don't need Greek for. We just need context clues for. Um, I, tell, I try to tell the students as often as possible, pay attention in English class because nothing can help you in school understand the Bible better than paying attention in English. Sometimes I use the word context clues and they don't know what I'm talking about and it hurts my feelings because English can help us understand the Bible. Right, so if, if, we, if we learn how to just, we can just teach our students how to read, all right? Uh, Context clues help us understand. And so when we look at where we are in the passage and we look just a little bit ahead of that, it says that when Jesus returns, we'll be like Jesus, we'll be purified just as he is purified. In other parts of the Bible, it tells us that, that when we are covered by the blood of Jesus, we are seen as blameless. We are seen as spotless, unblemished. And so when, when we know the Father, when we are adopted by the Father, when we've been saved by Jesus, uh, the reason, another reason there is no sin is because when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees us as purified. He sees us as unblemished. He sees the blood of Jesus covering us. And so we can't live in sin because Jesus' blood is covering us and making us clean before our Father. And if Paul was writing this letter, uh, he would have then added something to the end of this. He would have said, does this grace mean that we should keep sinning? 
If, if God sees us as sinless because of the love and the grace and the covering of Jesus, should we just keep on sinning? And, and Paul, Paul, he asks that question several times, and he always replies with no. <laughs> no. Because how we live represents our Father. And when we've been changed by Jesus, we cannot, we cannot continuously live in that same place. The, God gives us his spirit and his spirit convicts us. His spirit molds us. His spirit works in us to transform us to be more like Christ. And when you've been a new creation, you cannot continue in the same pattern. You just cannot continue living in that sin. God's grace changes us to where we can't continue being in the same place. So how we live represents our father, represents our family, represents who saved us. But we keep reading, and it says in verse 7, children let no one deceive you. That there is somebody called the devil here in this passage who is trying to deceive. And I think it, it's interesting here that the Bible uses a lot of different names for the devil. And here John uses the word devil, which it literally means slanderer. That, that when he attempts to deceive, he does that by slandering the truth. That, that ignorance is deception's best friend. That when we don't know the truth, the truth can be twisted. And when we don't know the truth, it is twisted, it is slandered, and we can then be deceived. He has been doing this since the beginning with Eve, where he slandered twisted God's words to Eve. He did it in the wilderness when Jesus was being tempted, where he slandered and twisted the words of God. And we saw Eve failed because she didn't quite understand what God had said. But Jesus understands the truth and knows the truth of God's word. And when we know and understand the truth of God's word, we can be strong to withhold the deceiver, to stand against. I mean, Jesus... Um, the devil could easily twist what we just said in two different locations. Look, look at what we, the passage we just read. He could easily twist that two different ways. One, he could say, look, this, this, this says if you've sinned, you can't be of God. And if you don't understand that, if you don't know the truth, uh, you've sinned. And, and he comes to you and he says, you've sinned. You must not know God. God must not know you. You've failed. You're a fake, so you might as well just come to your real father. Might as well. Or, or the other direction we just talked about, um, hey, you're a child, you've been adopted, that can't be changed, might as well live for yourself now. If God sees your sin as, as spotless because it's been covered by Jesus' blood, do what you want to do, live for yourself, party hard, uh, be selfish, it doesn't matter. And again, at that point, who is our life representing? Which father would our life then be representing? We have to know the truth. 
One, one of my favorite movies uh, is a movie called The Prestige. Uh, it's uh, Christian Bale, Hugh Jackman, and it's uh, a movie that follows two illusionists in the late 1800s. Uh, they are competitors competing to be the best, and one of them does a trick that the other one cannot figure out. It's, a tele, it's like a teleporting trick. Um, I won't give away the movie, okay? I won't tell you how he does it. Uh, but the guy, he, it is driving his competitor crazy because he cannot figure out how the deception works. Uh, and I think I've, I've always been kind of amazed by illusionists uh, because for a moment uh, you allow, you're choosing to be deceived. You're, you're allowing someone to deceive you kind of on your own terms a little bit, uh, which is why you can go on YouTube now and probably look up just about how every single illusion in the world is done. And I never do that, ever. I don't, I don't want to know how it's done because once you know the trick, once you know what's happening, you can't be deceived anymore. You can be impressed by their skill, okay, but, but the deception part of it is gone. And once you know the truth of God's word, the deception that the devil has over us is gone. Amen. When we understand God's word, when we know it, when we've hidden it in our hearts... That only happens if we are in the Word ourselves. If, if, the, if the only time you're hearing God's truth is, is on a Sunday morning, you're not hearing it enough. It's, uh, now, you, you hear the truth, right? right? J-Mo teaches from the Bible. He teaches from God's Word. You hear the truth, but it's just a taste. It's just a taste. You, you have to be in it yourself. You have to know what God's word says because guess what? I don't know if you've realized this, but teachers of the Bible can deceive you as well. And, and if we don't know what God's word says in order to, to, whenever we hear something, to say, ah, I've read the Bible. That doesn't line up with what I've heard. We can, we can go to the source instead of just relying on others. God has empowered us with the Holy Spirit that, that we can read his word. And so I want to encourage you, one of the best ways you can stand against deception is for you to be in God's truth and God's word in the Bible yourself. To make it a daily part of your routine. If, if that seems like a stretch to you, because right now it's only on Sunday, two days a week. <laughs> All right, if you're doing two days a week, Three days a week, four days a week. Don't go, you don't have to go from zero to seven. If you want to, you can, all right? But, but be in God's words that you can stand against deception. Because when we know the truth and we're not deceived, we can live out what God has taught us and we can represent our Father well. This really comes down to a choice. I said earlier, there's only, there's only two sides. There's only two options. Uh, and, and John in these short little verses tells us two reasons why Jesus came. 
Uh, in, in verse 5, he tells us that Jesus came to take away our sins. And in verse 8, he tells us that Jesus came to, de- to destroy the devil's works. Verse 5, Jesus came to take away our sins. That Jesus takes away our sins by his work on the cross. That Jesus, the Son of God, came down to earth lived the perfect life that we could not live. He lived sinless because we cannot. Died on the cross as the sacrificial lamb for our sins. Was resurrected on the third day and ascended to be at the right hand of the God as our mediator. I need to be very, very, very clear about this. All the stuff that I've been saying previous to this of... Uh, represent your father well, of, of you should be obedient to what God has called you to do. You uh, live in love, love your brother. Uh, you, none of that matters if you don't know who Jesus is to begin with. That, that I am not saying, and John is not saying, that if you represent God good enough, then you will then become his son. That there is not anything we can do There's not enough good works we can do to become God's son or daughter. That that it is through the work of Jesus on the cross and through God adopting us as his children, as co-heirs with Christ, that we put our faith in the work of Jesus and we have put our faith in the work of Jesus as our Savior. It is out of that that we are then able to live and do what John uh, and God calls us to do in this passage. That, that you cannot represent God well without him have first saving you and changed you and transformed you. Just as, as you had no say in who was your earthly father. You had, you had no say in being born. You did not will yourself into existence. We cannot will our own way to salvation. That is only by God's work. And then in verse 8, Jesus' works What he did was he came to destroy the works of the devil. That Jesus came to destroy death, which honestly, this week, uh, what a great promise to hold on to. that, That Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil, to destroy death. That death is not the end because there is going to be a resurrection. But, but remember, we, we have to stay in, in the context of here as well. And in this passage, God's been talking about fathers. That God is the father of his children, and the devil is the father of his children. And the cold, hard truth is that destroying the works of the devil includes destroying those who are his work. That, that there, is, there is a place that God has designated and created that we call hell that was created for the devil, that was created for his followers, and unfortunately it's going to be there for those who choose to follow in his ways, to be a child of the devil. And I believe that I agree with God when I say that I hate that hell exists. And I say that 
because God says that, that his desire is for all men to become saved. That, that hell as a destiny for people made in the image of God is, is one of the saddest realities there is. Because we know that people are going to spend an eternity separated from the God who loves them, separated from the God who created them, and separated from the God who died for them. That's why how we live is so important. It's not just about us, but it's about who we represent and about the family that we represent. And the way we live our life shows people who our Father is and then shows people who the Father is so that people can know the same love that we have known. That people can know the same salvation that we have known. As, um, as the worship team comes back up, um, I honestly don't even know who's supposed to come back up right now. Um, I, I want us to, to finish with a time of reflection. Of, of prayer. Of who does my life represent? When, when people see me, when people know me, do they know who my father is? Do they know who my father is because of how I live? And also do they know who my father is because of who I've told them my father is? And would what they say match up with what I believe? Like, would they say, I can tell you're a, a child of God? Because I know that's the case for me, but... Sometimes it's a little different what we think about ourselves and what others see. And there, there might be some in here who say, I, if there's only one or the other, I know I'm not a child of God. But I want to be. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.